Thank you, Anchor. Anchor is, uh, they're my guys. They're the ones that take care of all of the uh, distribution and creation of the podcast. So thanks to Anchor. And thanks to uh, Solderweld. As always, Solderweld. Man, they make Alcop and Round Rod and 15% Silver Solder and and Multisol and Alloy Sol and Hot Block. And man, they've got so much product out. I mean, and they're just super great guys. I love them. Um, and you can find out everything about Solder Weld at uh, www.solderweld.com. And uh, they're great guys and up in Utah. And they take care of the HVAC and refrigeration and off-road community with some amazing products. So check them out at solderweld.com. So today's podcast is with a, a very unique and very creative person. And he's an HVAC tech as well. He's in construction. His name is Jamie Christensen. Um, he's up in the Northwest Washington, Seattle area. And Jamie... And I have been friends for a while, and we met, really met, at AHR Expo. And uh, I think in Florida, correct? Am I wrong? Yeah. In Florida. Uh, Florida. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit and got to check each other out and see what we're about. And found out a lot of cool stuff about Jamie. And, and honestly, today's podcast is because of Mike Flynn. Uh, over out on Instagram at Flintstone One, and he said, "Dude, you got to interview Jamie. Like he's got a great story." And then the the more we spoke, the more we realized that he does have a great story. And if it goes long today, we'll go into a part two because he's got so much to share. <clears throat> so welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you. So what do we what? What do we need to know? I mean, is there is what do we need to know about you? Uh, how long you been in the trade? How did you get into the trade? What motivated you to get into the trade? What What's your backstory? Uh, so, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, I was always interested as a young kid, like how how our refrigerator worked. Um. You know, I didn't, I didn't really run with that idea. It was just a, it was just a curiosity that I had as a, a young adolescent, um, how that, that, you know, air conditioning worked. And, you know, back then I still thought that we made cool air, you know what I mean? I'm like, how do they make cold air? Um, and so I thought I always had the interest and, but I didn't really do anything with it in high school. Um, I did, I did a lot of like AutoCAD drafting was one of my classes I took in high school and like I was really, I've always been really good on computers and I actually, the school I went to down in Phoenix, Universal Technical Institute, I went there for the HVAC, but originally I was going to go there for the AutoCAD drafting program and when the recruiter came to my house, to my parents' house, and we all were sitting down talking about it. He he asked me, he's like, he's like, can you really, he must have saw something in me because he goes, can you really see yourself sitting on a computer for like eight hours a day? And I'm like, you know, I'm be, I'm young. I didn't think that far ahead. I'm like, well, no, that, that actually sounds pretty horrible. And he goes, 
well, what do you think about the air conditioning trades? And I'm like, and then that light bulb went off, and I was like, well, I've always been super interested in, that. like, you know, how the refrigerator worked, how, how the air conditioner worked. And he's like, well, what do you think about going to UTI for, for HVAC? And I'm like, let's do it. So that's, that's how I got into uh, the train. And I went to, I moved to Phoenix right out of high school. I think I was only out of high school for I graduated and like I was down in Phoenix, you know, in August. And I had a buddy, I had a buddy down there that was already going to UTI that I went to high school with him up here. And he was a year ahead of me, but he was going to UTI for, like, you know, he's an automotive guy. So, you know, anybody who doesn't know about UTI, they offer quite a few different programs for blue-collar tradesmen. But, so he was already down there. Um, I went and moved in with him. He got me a job at uh, BJ's Auto Spa down there on Bell Road and changing oil and fancy cars and kind of for the rich people and uh and so i started going to school and and working at bj's auto spa and we'd get up in the morning and go to work and work for like six hours and and bust our ass home for like 15 minutes change our clothes put on our school shirt and head right to school off i think it was i think it was indian rich road i want to say um indian school and grand yeah so we did that for a year and that excuse me, that year went by so fast because I was so busy working, drinking, and going to school. Well, UTI is long gone now, so you must be an old guy. Yeah, I'm I'm 37. I'm I'm old. So when did you go to trade school? What year? What year? Uh, I went in at the end of 2001 and graduated in 2002, so just about a year. And so, and then, you know, one, one cool thing about that program is they, you know, help you get hired before, you know, you get back home or wherever you're going. I mean, you get a lot of job offers before you leave school. And, and I know, but a lot of them uh, are in, but a lot of them are in Phoenix. So you must, they must have found you a job somewhere back in the Northwest area where you're from, because we would have kept you here in Arizona. Yeah, and I and and I could have. I had a lot of job offers down there, and at that time, I'm like, man, I don't want to live down here, and I miss home. I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old. I miss my friends, and you know, all those things. And so, you know, I moved back home, <clears throat> and like right before I moved back home, my parents told me that they sold our our house that I grew up in in Lake Stevens, and I'm like, and it, that was just like, what, like. He waited to tell me because, like, if they would have told me before, I probably would have stayed in Phoenix because they bought a house up north in Mount Vernon. It's kind of like the country area um, up north towards the the Canada border. And I didn't want to live up there, but it was too late. I didn't really have a choice. So I got a job in Burlington doing uh, residential, like, commercial stuff and... I mean, that's, that's where I started in the trade, like most people, residential. Um, I love, I mean, I loved it, like, <clears throat> right off the bat. Like, right off the bat, I rode, I only rode with a, uh, a journeyman for, I think, maybe two months at the most, and then I was in my own van, 
and I've had my own band ever since then. And I know a lot of people that are in the trades, you know, they take them a long time to get into their, to their own band. And I feel like I was in my own band pretty rapidly, and, and I've always had my band. It never, that was never an issue. So they probably saw something, they probably saw that I had the, the niche for the trade, like, right away, you know, because... You know, as soon as I got into it, I'm always asking questions. I mean, I remember the first time. I remember the yeah, first I, time the guy. I want to ask you something about UTI before you go forward about UTI. Okay. Guys will ask me, men and women will ask me if trade school is worth the investment to getting into the trade, and I tell them, you know, that trade school isn't going to teach you everything, but it's going to get you a job. Did you find out the same thing? Like, did it teach you everything? Um, or did it, did it open, and I don't mean everything, but I mean, did it open the opportunities up and would you recommend somebody, a a young person in high school to going to any trade school, to a trade school again? Yeah, 100% would recommend going to a trade school because, you know, it, it does open up a lot of doors. You know, I mean, if, if, if there was me and another guy, my age, another 19 year old kid both applied for this HVAC service technician job and I had a associate's degree from a trade school and this kid just got out of high school, I mean, most likely they're going to hire the guy with the associate's degree because it shows that you, you know, can achieve a commitment and stick with a commitment and, and finish things and show up and stuff, you know what I mean? So it, it definitely opens up a lot of doors and I would highly recommend going to any trade school, whatever trade you're in. So when you... When you graduated and then they had a career counselor and they got you a job and you ended up back home um, in the Northwest and you were doing residential, um, I know you're in the union now, correct? Yeah, correct. So you weren't in the, did you go into the union and the residential sector of it or did you work non-union for a while? I worked, uh, I started my career non-union. And you were doing? I didn't even, I didn't even really know about much about the union when I was, you know, 19 years old. So when you were doing the residential and they had you out running calls, was that, I mean, was residential for you or did you, were you looking at it going, you know what, this is great, but I don't want to do this or what was going on in your head? I mean, in the very beginning, uh, I, that's all I knew, you know, but one once I started getting to work on some lighter commercial stuff, some packaging it, that's really when I was like, wow, this is, I like this a lot better than residential. Um, so I, I started looking more into doing com- the commercial side of things. Um, so, uh, you know, and it was fun. Residential, I still like residential, but commercial for me is, is where it's at. Um, so, you know, and I worked at this place for the first company I worked for. I worked there for, I think, about a year. And then um, me and my brother me and my brother moved back down to kind of where we grew up in that area. And I got another job. And that was probably around, like, 2004-ish. Um, got another job down here with the company that did, you know, Still did residential, but a lot more light commercial, technically. And, um, you know, around that time, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people know my story. A lot of people don't. 
but, you know, I, I got involved in, you know, painkillers and drugs, and so, you know, that kind of took over my life around 2004, and so, HVAC, you gotta remember, I was still really young and not thinking of the future whatsoever. It's just like, now, now, now. And so, I was kind of started around 2003, 2004, I started kind of getting involved in that stuff. Because when I got back from trade school, when I got back from Phoenix, my my core group of friends started, you know, they were getting involved in Oxycontins and opiates and stuff like that. So that, that's when, you know, I started getting involved. And then I, you know, it was just a kind of a recreational thing for a while. But, I mean, anybody who knows about that, that, painkiller, I mean, it's, it's highly addictive, and over time, you know, it pretty much just takes over your life, and then so I was, like, working just to support my habit, and then, you know, then I started losing jobs. I would lose jobs for various different reasons, you know what I mean? Um, I don't really want to go into detail about what I did, but I just wasn't an honest employee, and... Um, yeah, I get it. I mean, it... There's things that go with it. Um, I was a, I, I had used cocaine. That for me was a drug. I wasn't an addict or anything. It, but you, it's expensive. And I never stole or I never did any of that stuff. But, you know, in the 80s, it was the drug to do. And so Mike did it. But it's expensive to maintain a, a habit. And um, I never became addicted to it. And, but I like to party with it. But, yeah. you know, it's, for you, it was a defining moment. So how long were you an addict? Well, I'm, how long were you dealing and partying with it? Or did you go, did you ever hit rock bottom? You know, what happened to where you said, this, this, this shit's enough? Yeah, so, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that day. I, I definitely hit rock bottom, and I, I rode that out, that pain pill addiction for, you know, from about 2002 when I first started doing them, when I first touched them, to 2010 when I got clean. And um, my my rock bottom it was when, you know, as, as this opiate epidemic took over the country, you know, they started changing things. So you couldn't, you know, in the formula of the pill, so you couldn't, snort them and smoke them and shoot them up anymore and so you know as supply and demand like you know the supply went down the demand up so like things got very 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 expensive for one pill and a lot of people turned to heroin and so and that's what I did I turned I turned to heroin and I did heroin and I smoked it I shot it up and um you know, not for a long time, for about a year. And I just remember I was in my apartment and I was I was trying to shoot up and like I just felt like the biggest piece of shit. I'm like, what am I doing, dude? And like I just broke down crying and then I called um Evergreen Treatment Center here up in Everett and I said, I need help like now. And if you're an intravenous drug user, they get you in, like, you go to, like, the top of the list. Like, they got me in treatment, um, you know, and I, 
I got in there and I did detox and I got out and I didn't really do anything about it. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't do anything. So I was like right back into using and then I got arrested again. And I was looking at prison time and cause I did a lot of county jail time, you know, for various different things and in and out of, in and out of jail. And then this, this, you know, and I caught a couple felonies prior to that in my time. And then this last time I got arrested, you know, then for anybody who knows how, how felonies work, they go off of a point system. So if I have four felonies, I'm in this certain sentencing range. And so I got arrested and got a felony and I was going off of four prior felonies. So I was looking at like three years in prison. I'm like, dude, I do not want to go to prison. Like what? What can I do? I tried to go into the military, you know what I mean? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't take me. They're like, dude, they don't really do that anymore. Um, and so this lady, uh, Teresa, she said, well, then we have this program called Drug Court. It's a very, very, very strict, tough program to do. It's 12 to 18 months long. But if you complete it, your felony gets dropped. And I said, let's do it. So I did that program. And it's a hard program. I mean, they, you, the first, the first, there's three phases. The first phase, I mean, you're taking, you gotta call, you get assigned a color for the UA line. You call this number every morning, and if your number gets called, you gotta go take a UA. And so I did that. Is that a drug test? You're an analysis. Yeah, a monitored drug test. So they actually see you pee into the cuffs. So it's like, you can't, you can't go take somebody else's pee in there and, dump it in like you have somebody watching you like mirrors all over and so it's it's, it's weird Crazy. but so I did that and you know and I, like me the type of guy I am like when I make a decision like I make that decision and I do what I have to do to complete that goal and that's what I did I said I, I knew I didn't want to be a drug addict I knew I didn't want to do it I just got caught up and I'm like a good dude doing horrible thing. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So I got into drug court and I followed that program to a T. Even, even the judge and all the prosecutors, because it's kind of a community, you know what I mean? Like you get to know these people and it's the same judges and the same people in the courtroom because you go to court every Friday and you do programs and meetings and all kinds of stuff. And like you can get in fraction like very easy in that program to where you go to jail like if you pop the dirty ua like they would put you in jail for a few days or something you know what i mean and and i never got one infraction like i followed that program to the t i was like the golden child of that that program because a lot of people don't complete that program in a year let alone completing it in a year with literally not one infraction against them. Um, so that drug court, like I owe, I owe a lot of where I'm at to drug court because that program, the way it's set up is, is almost like the military because like the military is very like you have to be here at this time and if you don't follow rules, like you get in trouble. And so I did that and that's what got me into the rooms in Narcotics Anonymous. So, from 2010 to about 2015, like, I was hardcore in the Narcotics Anonymous. I did everything, meetings all the time. I got a sponsor. I worked my steps. You know, I did 
everything because I always, prior to that, would always be like, well, I'll do this, but I don't need to do that. And I didn't follow direction and, you know, um, what people tell you to do to stay clean, you know? Like, I changed everything. They tell you change your person, places, and things, and that's what I had to do. Like, I didn't hang out with my brother because he was still getting loaded. I didn't hang out with any of my friends. It was all people that are recovering addicts trying to achieve the same goal. Like, just didn't want to do drugs anymore. Now, uh, but were you doing the trade as well, or were you focused on recovery? I was doing the trade, um, the first, the first year of my sobriety, I was doing random jobs and stuff like that because I, but I was applying for jobs, but like, you gotta remember my record, like, I'm like, I'm never going to get a job. Nobody's ever going to hire me because it's like, I got felonies and that's a powerful word. Whether the felony was for stealing food or, you know, something like that, like, People hear the word felony and they're like, this guy's a, a convict. You know what I mean? I don't want to hire that guy. Um, so the first year I was not doing HVAC, but <clears throat> I applied at a company and I met them. So here's the thing. Here's about the networking in NA. So I met a girl in NA. Her dad owned an HVAC company. And she's like, you should apply there. I applied there. And I'm like, you know, now I got to a point where I'm like, I'm just going to be honest with every prospective employer. I'm just going to be honest, tell them that, like, I'm a recovering addict. I made some major mistakes in my life, and that's not who I am. And so I told him everything, and he gave me a job, and, and that was in about 2011. So he did, it was residential, like, commercial. Um, worked there for a while, but in... In, excuse me, back up a little bit, around 2008 when the housing market crashed and the economy crashed, like, I applied for the union, but they weren't accepting new apprentices because of, you know, the work and stuff, because of the economy. So, um, you know, fast forward to 2011, I got that new job in HVAC, and I was so grateful to be back in the trade, like, I just, I love this trade so much, and I was so grateful to be back working. I worked there for probably like, I think about 14, 15 months, and then I got a call from the union and said, hey, James, we've got an opening, you want to come in for an interview? Because I kept in contact with them, and I said, yeah. So I go in and do the interview with the board, and, you know, they offered me, you know, a position uh, in the apprenticeship, and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to give my employer two week notice. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Like, you can probably give them a couple of days. And I wasn't happy about that. But, like, when they call you, it's like, I guess you just, you got to go. Um, or they'll just go to the next person. So I sat down with my boss, told him, and I went into the union. And, um, you know, that was scary because when I got into the union, I know nothing about, like, construction sites. I've never been on, you know, big, big projects and big, big equipment. But did the, the let me ask you, did the union know that you were recovering? Yeah. And so you're doing the recovery process. This is when 2011, I think, is when you said you got the union job? Yeah. 
So about 2011, and you're still doing the the drug core, and you're doing all that, and the union was cool about it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I think I think what it boils down to is just being open and honest, you know? If you lay everything out on the table and everybody knows anything, you don't got to hide shit. You know what I mean? You can, I feel better, like, I don't feel like I have a monkey on my shoulder, like, they know I'm a recovering addict, you know? It's just easier that way, just to be honest, you know what I mean? It's not always the easiest process, but in the end, it's just easier to be honest with everything, in my opinion. Right, you're right. So, probably, the honesty is probably what got you further along. Yeah, I, I truly believe that it, it probably is the reason. Um, so you got so, into the union. Yeah, and so I got into when you were still in the drug corps doing it, you said to, were you also uh, uh, like a sponsor? Were you helping people out with their recovery process? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that helps you with yours. So you're you got some teaming going on. You're helping somebody. Um, they're helping you. I think that's the big thing because I've I've had friends that have dealt with with alcoholism and whatnot in the. The recovery process is is usually it's a two to three person. It's not just one person. So if somebody's out there, you know, struggling with it, with an addiction, you know, what is your recommendation? My recommendation would be to go to a meeting, whether it's AA or NA or CA. There's 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 a meeting for. Anything, and I know a lot of drug addicts that go to AA meetings because just their style gets them better. Um, but that first step is to go into a meeting. You know what I mean? And and you can just share openly in meetings, and you know, and and people are there to help. So I found my sponsor, and you know, so during this time, I mean, I'm actively working the twelve steps, and that's like really the. I think the key to finding recovery is working the steps. A lot of people don't do it, but the the 12 steps really work on, you know, the internal issues because as you work through those steps, you realize that, like, you know, the drugs are just a symptom of other things. Like, you know, I've been clean for, I'll be clean for 10 years this November, November 27th. Congratulations. Thank you. And, like, you realize that I've always had these issues and the drugs just were a symptom of that, you know what I mean? Like, you're just masking whether it's anxiety or, you know, you've had some traumatic experience in your life and you're using drugs and alcohol to not feel those feelings. Like, that's really what it is. I mean, I used to think all my problems were from drugs. Well, really, the drugs were just a symptom of issues I had just as a person. Like, I, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, like, I was, I had so many red flags of being an addict when I was in, just in high school. Like, I'd go to parties and I'd always be the guy just getting shit-faced. And I'm not a bad drunk. Like, I'm a fun drunk. But, like, I was abusing alcohol horribly. Like, I would get so messed up and drunk that most people would stop drinking. Well, me, being an addict, an addict mentality, I'm like, well, I'm just going to make myself puke so I can drink more. So I was like, I, there was a lot of times where I made myself puke 
so I could drink more. Like, you know, that's not a red flag when you're, you know, 16, 17 years old. Like, I don't know what is. Right. So, <laughs> so you're, so you're moving forward. You're, you're 10 years sober. You're, was this 2015, 2016? Uh, when? How, well, you finished the drug core in 2015, right? No, I finished the, the drug court. Um, these dates the drug are pretty court recent. About 2012. Yeah, these dates are pretty recent. So this is really like here now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I finished the drug court in about 2012, I think. Some, somewhere in that area. Okay. Then I was free. You know, then I didn't have any court stuff hanging over my head. So now all the people that I met program, you know, because a lot of people do that program and then they go right back out. They just do it because they don't want to go to jail. But, like, I did it because I didn't want to go to prison, but I also wanted to stay clean. You know, I needed I needed accountability at that point in my life. And so once I was off paper and I was free to do whatever I want, I just continued to do what I'd learned to do the whole year I was in drug court. I just continued to go to meetings and be active in my recovery. I was very highly active in my recovery for the first about six years. And then, you know, then I'm in the union and I'm working more and, and HVAC is, you know, number one in my life again, because up till that point, like HVAC was important, but my recovery was number one because I knew if I didn't stay clean, I would have nothing. And so now, so I just, so now, I'm sorry, you're clean, you're recovering, you're doing everything. Let's move forward. You're in the union, and how's the process in the union? Not the process, but I mean, what are you doing now? Because I see you working on some really great stuff. I, I would assume the union has been fantastic for you. Yeah, it's been probably the best decision I made in my career. When, um, what do you do now? The company you work for now, you know, you're you're cruising through life. Things are great. Now, were you married? Did you recently get married? No, I I, I just got married uh, last October or last August. So it's just coming up on a year. Congrats! Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, a, lot um, a lot of things to be thankful for. Yeah, a lot, lots, lots. Uh, I'm, I'm super blessed to be where I'm at today for where I was at one point in my life, but, you know, it, it, it takes, it takes a lot of work, you know what I mean? And, um, dedication to, you, you have to make your recovery number one. I mean, you know, like when I was getting clean, I didn't hang out with my brother, like he's my older brother, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, I didn't touch on this back, back then, but. When I got clean in 2010, I had about, I think, 14 months clean, and, and we lost my brother to a drug overdose, you know? Um, a lot of people would go get loaded over that and throw away their recovery, and it was tough not to do that. I wanted to do that, but, like, you know, because you don't want to feel that stuff. It's That's some heavy, heavy feeling. It's not only that you find, like, you, you, your brother died, your mom died, your sister died from a drug overdose, but, like, when you find them 
and you see it firsthand, like with your eyes, like that's a pretty traumatic thing to to experience, especially like with the year clean. You know, I still didn't even know like who I really was at that point in my recovery because you're like learning life again. So, you know, and I made it through that clean. And that was tough. That was probably one of the toughest things that I've ever done in my entire life was make it through that experience, that traumatic experience, clean. You know, and I leaned on, I leaned on narcotics anonymous and people in my circle and, you know, and, and shared about it in meetings. And that's one thing about it is like, you know, meeting is like you can go there and not be judged and you can just share open and honest of how you're feeling, what's going on. And like, for me, that's just who I am. I know a lot of people can't be open and honest like I am. So I'm grateful for that Mm -hmm. because I think it helps me keep clean to this day. But I think it helps others too. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Death is hard. You know, it's, it's not easy. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, with my brother dying, I mean, you know, he died in 2012. It's been eight years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? I miss, I miss him all the time. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I just wrote my mom a letter for Mother's Day yesterday, and you know, I just mentioned my brother. And as soon as I, you know, start talking about him, I, I start crying. You know what I mean? It's right. still You just learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But that pain never goes away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, um, you know, so we got through that. And, um, you You're know, cruising. You're doing air conditioning. Yeah. You're cruising. And then, cruising. and then you meet your wife. Yeah, and then I met my wife at the gym. And uh, I met her about 2015, I think. We dated for, we dated for quite a while. And, um, you know, she's a huge blessing in my life too. You know what I mean? Like she knew, she knew everything about me because I'm honest. And we we hung out, we dated for you know almost five years, and then I asked her to marry me in life, our last life trip. You know. And uh, so when you you got married, and then you and your wife decided to have a boy, right? Yeah. There was some there was some worry and some heartache there because you shared your story on Instagram and, and social media and you pulled all of us in. You suck. You, pull, <laughs> you, you pulled us all in. Can you, can you share? We got like 20 minutes. Can you share what happened there? Yeah. So, uh, we don't know, we don't know who got him sick. But he got, he contracted RSV, and I had no idea what RSV was, um, but I guess it's pretty common for, you know, kid two and under to get it, um, and, you know, this last winter, he got it. What does that um, stand for? Uh, I'm not, I can't, I would have to Google it, but it's a respiratory. It's a respiratory it, infection, right? Yeah, it's a respiratory infection. It causes 
it causes a lot of inflammation in the lungs and a lot of, you know, like secretions and mucus. And for a baby, their airways are so small, they just basically get plugged up and they can't breathe. Um, was he born and, with, did he come home after the birth and catch it at home? Or Yeah, yeah I think somebody that came and visited must have been sick and, and he contracted it that way. But like, it's hard to tell where he got it from, but we, we think we know who it was, but nobody's putting the blame on anybody. It, it happened, but, you know, he got it, and, you know, just one morning, like, he, he started developing a cough, and, you know, it just got, it wasn't a big deal, and then it kind of got worse, and really sounded like something was wrong, and then, like, one morning, he's, he, they call it, he's modeled, and modeled, for people who don't know what it is, is like, like, when your hands are cold, you know, your skin's cold and it kind of looks almost like scaly. I, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but um, it just, the best way I can describe it is like if you smoke out in the cold and that circulation isn't going around your hands, it kind of looks like that, but his whole body was like that. Like, oh, Jaden, something's wrong. Like, she called the doctor, we took him in, and, and then they tested for RSV, and they're like, yeah, I got RSV. So he got shipped down to Seattle Children's Hospital, and um, you know, so I was like super scary to deal with and, and a lot of times a lot of kids get it and you know, they're in and out of the hospital and, you know, a handful of days, but like he wasn't doing very good at all. They just kept saying this is probably one of the worst cases they've seen and he had to get intubated and that was really scary because they had to put him out and, you know, shove a breathing tube down him and then seeing your new baby boy like that was you know, very emotional and scary, and, and you know, he was, you know, and it, it was such an up-and-down roller coaster in the hospital because, you know, he would, they took him off the ventilator, and then he, and they fill him a high-flow oxygen, and they're like, oh, he's doing good, so they would lower the oxygen, or they would lower something, and then the next day, he would be doing bad again, so they would raise the oxygen, and it was like, he's good, oh, no, he's not good, oh, he's good, he's not good, and, and like, they, they, at one point, they were thinking about putting him back under and intubating him again, and, and doing that to even a grown person, I mean, you got risks with all that stuff, and especially a little baby, but, you know, so that was really tough on us, new parents, but, you know. But you did something different that most people don't do. And and that is that you shared the entire experience in pictures with social media. And yeah. and in doing so, a lot of parents, a lot of tradesmen and tradeswomen started saying, I I'm dealing with that too, or I have dealt with that too. And you pulled the blue-collar community into your family's medical trials, you know, of, of the ups and downs. And you were in prayer groups. You were in my prayer group. And yeah, you you had, yeah, man, you just had tons of people pulling for you. Yeah, and it was like, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was amazing the community pulling together in Island, for a lot of you know him as KBH back, he, he asked me, he didn't want to, 
disrespect my financial situation or anything, but he reached out to me and was like, I want to start a GoFundMe page. And I'm like, well, you know, I got good insurance and stuff. I don't, I don't need it. But obviously, money to help out with medical bills, because even though I have good insurance, like the medical bills with something like that is, is huge. There's still a lot of expenses out of pocket. And I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop you until you know, but if that's something you want to do, then go for it. And so he started that, that GoFundMe account. We got, um, somewhere around four grand for it. And that covered almost all of the out of pocket costs that had to do with anything around what happened with our son. Which, so I'm like forever grateful for that. I'm forever grateful for, the community, the HVAC tradesmen community, because I had a lot of people reach out when I was going through it saying, you know, they're here, they're supporting me, you know, like you put me in a prayer group. I had um, T, T Nuz, he, he reached out, and I know there's some other people that I'm forgetting their, their handle, but I got put in a lot of prayer groups, and it just really, that was like the first time that I really, really realized how great of, a community like not just in HVAC but like the entire trades community and Instagram community can come together and help out a fellow blue collar you know member um you know and I still get messages not so much anymore but after we were home from the hospital with you know somebody just had a new baby and they got it you know what I mean and they're like yeah it's the toughest thing I've I've been through, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, and I just, I love getting messages from people telling me that I helped them or just reaching out and, you know, telling me what they're going through and, and, you know, so let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. And I think a lot of times people just want to talk, you know what I mean? Like they just want to get things off their chest and, you know, and I can't like somebody who's got, I'm like, I can't tell you, your daughter or your son's going to be okay, but, you know, you got to leave it up in the, to God's hands, but you can pray and just reach out and you just have that support from your fellow peers. And that's all, a lot of times, that's just what people need. You know, you need some positivity and, like, hey, it's going to be okay, man. So, so that, was, that was... So what was the was, final was, outcome? I mean, it was... I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. It's what, fine. what was the what was the outcome? I mean, how many how many months was the boy in the ho- your son in the hospital, and how's he doing now? So he was in ICU for fifteen days. We got him home on Christmas Eve, which is another blessing because we were you know we were kind of thinking like, hey, we're gonna spend our first Christmas with our boy in the hospital and. And, you know, he was in the hospital on my birthday, so, like, we didn't even celebrate my birthday, you know what I mean? Um, but he's in there for 15 days, which is, they just kept saying, you know, it's one of the worst cases they've seen, because they had a lot of kids come in after our son with RSV and then left before it. They just, and we were starting to be curious, like, well, did he catch something else, or, you know, now we, now we think he might have possibly caught the coronavirus. And nobody knew, but we don't know. Um, and so, you know, he's got some respiratory issues, obviously, from that. Um, he has some issues 
swallowing from the respirator, the tube down his throat. He's doing good, but, you know, after that all happened, we kind of were on quarantine for, you know, we put ourselves on self-quarantine for, you know, a few months. I was still working, but we weren't letting family and friends come over and see him. And then, like, we started getting comfortable with letting close family come over and see him. And we were only doing that for about two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden this coronavirus happened. So then all that anxiety came back, and we, you know, put ourselves on self-quarantine, and that's that's kind of where we've been at for the last two months now is, is quarantine. When, when you were in the I mean, trade, you're not working still. Are you self-quarantining intentionally, or has the trade slowed down well, during the coronavirus? So... In the original, the beginning of March, um, it was March 16th. It was actually the anniversary of my brother's death. Like, I didn't go to work because I usually don't work that day. I just go and spend it with my family. And then the next day, they're talking about the self-quarantine. That was, like, in the beginning when it was still a lot of unknowns. And they're just like, stay at home if you don't have to, you you know. And so I chose to put myself on self-quarantine for my son's sake. And then literally a couple days later, they issued the stay home, stay healthy order in Washington. Um, a lot of the construction shut down. And so I was like, cool. Um, you know, and then we got deemed essential. Because at that point, HVAC wasn't officially deemed essential. But then it was. So there, uh, we have a, uh, two other, three other technicians, and they were still working. But a lot of my current company's work is new construction, and that got all shut down um, until uh, the essential jobs, like sound transit, the state government jobs, those people in those jobs were still working. Um, but a lot of it was shut down until just last week, and they just reopened a lot of those other construction sites on May 4th. And so I was going to go back to work. Today, actually, was going to be the first day I went back to work, but um, when I talked to my boss and I said, yeah, I'll come back May 11th, well, then two days later, the governor extended the stay home, stay healthy order till the end of May, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to take advantage of it, and, you know, just to be safe, and there's still so much unknown about about it, but we're, we have so much post-traumatic stress from what we went through with RSP, like, we're following the quarantine and stuff as much as we can. Like we're not going to stores. Um, we're not, we're having like food delivered. We have, uh, these medical grade wipes down by the door and, and rubber gloves. Like when the stuff gets delivered, we're wiping everything down. Um, we're letting family come over, but I have a two level deck. So we stay up on the upper deck Mm -hmm. and they stay on the lower deck. Nice. And yeah, so, uh, so he's healthy. He's healthy. He has some issues, but he's got a compromised immune system. So we have to be extra careful with right. this virus that's going on. Well, we're at 47 minutes. We have not even spoken about your social media. We have not spoken about your art because you did continue to do artwork. And you did continue to do all sorts of cool things with art. We're going to do a part two because we haven't even spoken about the things you do in the trade, really what you're doing in the trade. Um, 
and um, I think we'll I think we'll end this one. But is it just real quick? You got like a minute. What would you like to tell anybody? Uh, I just want to tell everybody that follows me. You know what I mean. I appreciate all the support that I've gotten on my page. All the support that I've gotten when we were dealing with our son's RSV issues. And I know the content hasn't really been there lately, and I've lost a lot of followers over it, but I appreciate the people that have stuck around. And, you know, and anybody, any interaction I get on my page, like, I try really hard to to comment and like a, a comment and reply back to DMs. Like, I try as hard as I can to still be active in, in my page, but, like, you know, I just... It's tough right now because I just don't have a lot of content. So, you know, I appreciate everybody sticking around and, um, you know, and I appreciate all that support that I get from everybody. Well, you guys got to follow this guy. Uh, this is Jamie Christensen. Uh, he's Northwest HVAC. Super cool guy. We got to hang out a little bit at AHR, and, and, and hopefully I get to see him in Chicago here in 2021. For sure. Um because I'm sure we got more to talk about then. And I, again, want to thank SolderWeld for the continued support. Check them out at www.solderweld.com. And uh, you can get a hold of me through HVACReferGuy at gmail.com. And please, please go on Apple iTunes um, and rate. give me a rating. Hopefully you'll give me a five rating. And uh, subscribe. And leave some comments because that helps me with Apple iTunes. And you can also find me on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, thank you, Spotify, for the help. And as always, I tell everybody the same thing. Work safe, be safe. Please be good humans. Wrap your arms around the ones you love. And, uh, you know, just be super cool humans and take care of each other. And until next time, uh, keep HVACing. That's a shout-out to Gary over at HVAC. You know what? I'll keep HVACing and just be good humans. Thanks a bunch, and we'll see you next time.